Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Tech's fourth quarter 2020 earnings release conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. This conference is being recorded on Thursday, February 18, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Fraser Phillips, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Strategic Analysis. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, Eric. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Tech's fourth quarter 2020 results conference call. Before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the caution regarding forward-looking statements on slide two. This presentation contains uh, this presentation contains uh, forward-looking statements regarding our business. This slide describes the assumptions underlying those statements. Various risks and uncertainties may cause actual results to vary. Tech does not assume the obligation to update any forward-looking statement. But also like to point out that we use various non-GAAP measures in this presentation. You can find explanations and reconciliations regarding these measures in the appendix. With that, I will turn the call over to Don Lindsay, our President and CEO. Thank you. I will begin on slide three with highlights from 2020 and then Jonathan Price, here's President Chief will join me in presenting our fourth quarter 2020. We will conclude with a Q&A session where Jonathan and I and several additional members of our senior management team would be happy to answer any questions. So, without question, 2020 was one of the most challenging years any of us have experienced as we worked to manage through the global pandemic and its impacts on our people, our communities, and the economy. And the tech team, I believe, rose to meet that challenge putting in place comprehensive measures to protect health and safety and to ensure we could continue to operate responsibly and progress the strategy to grow copper production and optimize productivity and cost structures that are existing operations. In the fourth quarter, we delivered the strongest quarterly financial results of 2020 while also outperforming the same period last year. As of the end of the year, we achieved our target of 40% overall completion of QB2 which is expected to double our consolidated copper production by 2023. This, in conjunction with our ongoing focus on reducing costs and deploying phase 21 operations, will ensure that we are well positioned as the rollout of vaccines and broad-based economic stimulus drive global economic recovery and associated commodity demand. Our steel-making coal is our sales increased to an average of $58 per tonne in the fourth quarter. And this was ahead of plan and reflects their structural shift lower cost base. I just suggest that everybody goes on, on mute until we open our questions. We exceeded our target for our cost reduction program, more than a billion dollars in savings as of the end of 2020. We did all this recording our safest year on record. But in spite of our performance in health and safety in 2020, it is with regret that I report that we did have a fatality in our Red Dog operation in January of 2021. A detailed investigation into the incident is underway, 
and our condolences go out to the family and friends and the entire Red Turning to an overview of our financial results on slide four. As I said earlier, we delivered the strongest quarterly financial results of 20 in the fourth quarter. Revenues were and adjusted EBITDA was 839 million. Bottom line adjusted profitable shareholders was 248 million, which is 47 cents per share or 46 cents per share basis. Our fourth quarter profitability improved from a year ago reflecting significant increases in prices. This was partially offset by a substantial decline in the steelmaking coal price compared with the same period last year. The average of the FOB Australia price assessments declined from approximately $138 US per ton in early October to approximately $102 per ton by the end. For the full year, we generated $8.9 billion in revenue and $2.6 billion in adjusted EBITDA. Bottom line adjusted Profit attributed to shareholders, 561 million, which is $1.05 per share or $1.04. And once again, if we could all go on, that would be appreciated. We'll now run through some key updates for the quarter, starting with QB2 on slide five. At QB2, we continue to execute on our copper growth strategy. QB2, as most of you know, is a very long life, low cost operation with major expansion potential, and it is expected to double our consolidated copper production by 2023. Construction is progressing well across all areas of the project and is in line with our baseline schedule that we developed last May as a result of COVID-19. Since our suspension of 2020, we gradually ramped back up over the year, and we're now at pre-COVID-19 levels in accordance with the plan. I'm very happy to say that in spite of the significant COVID-19 challenges, we have achieved our targets through the end of 2020 with an overall completion of the year of 40%. Project track to the capital estimate of 5.2 US before COVID-19 impact, and the first production is still expected in the second half of 2022. The growth forward capital cost is estimated at 3.2 billion US, and again, that is before the COVID-19 impacts. We have updated our estimate of COVID-19 impacts, which now stands at 450 to 500 million US, which represents an increase of around 50 million from our previous guidance range, but in line with expectations. This includes the additional app space that we had last time that we have constructed to prevent transmission of COVID-19, uh, and so we now have adequate uh, camp space on site, and we, approximately 200 million of these costs have been expensed. I want to spend a few moments taking you through some of the construction progress at QP2. Slide six shows an aerial view of the concentrator's grinding area, which remains the critical or the longest scheduled path for the project, and I have to say it's going very well. In the photo, you can see where we have significantly advanced the construction with the sag mill and two ball mills for grinding line one already in place. And the concrete for the line two sag mill and ball mills is complete, and we began installation of ball mill number three earlier this month. We are well advanced with the steel erection in the area, as you can see. And in the very bottom left, you can just see three of the 14 flotation tanks that have been erected with the internal installations already underway. 
Slide seven shows the starter dam area of CMF, the Kelly's Management Facility. We have completed the construction of the coffer dam, the underphone drains, and lining of the upstream face of the starter dam. We're now working on hauling and compacting the fill to complete the starter dam, which utilizes some of the current tech mine fleet and also several of the CAT 794 trucks of the new fleet, which are now being commissioned. In the background, you can see the excavation and the preparation works on the east abutment, which is nearing completion. The pipeline right-of-way and platform development is over 95% complete, and we continue with bending, stringing, welding, lowering, and covering of the MWS pipeline on eight now. And you'll see that it shows a section of the water pipeline being lowered into place. And this is the pipeline that, of course, will bring desalinated water from the port up to the site. On slide nine, you can see a photo from earlier in January showing one of our marine work fronts where piling is on the jetty from the shore. You have to be aware that in addition to the works that are shown right here, we are also pile driving offshore from a temporary island which supports sort of two additional work fronts for the jetty and eventually, a jetty that, and eventually they'll then join together. You will see on slide 10, uh, a key milestone with the completion and opening of our integrated operations center in Santiago where our team is working on operational readiness and training on this, the simulator. And the team has carefully designed and built the facilities so that the multidisciplinary operations team, which comprises integrated planning, value chain optimization, process control, and reliability, they'll all have real-time visibility and tools to manage our QB2 operation. And as you might expect, uh, several jobs, hundreds of jobs that had been high at the mine site at 14,000 feet elevation will now actually be in this area in Santiago. Turning to slide 11, despite ongoing challenges associated with COVID-19 and thanks to the tireless efforts of our employees and contractors, our operation showed resilience and performed in line with the plan in the second 2020 and without significant impacts carrying over to our 2021 operating plans. We achieved unit level guidance for production sales, and unit costs for the second half of 2020. As I've already noted, 2020 was our safest year on record. Our safety performance metrics were at their lowest for the full year uh, with a significant reduction in incident frequency. Health and safety, of course, is a core value for tech and stringent COVID-19 prevention protocols remain in place at all sites at all times. On slide 12, we continue to focus on increasing margins, not volumes, in our steelmaking coal business to maximize cash flow from operations. We've completed construction and pre-commissioning of the Elkview Saturated Rockville expansion in the fourth quarter on schedule and below budget, and commissioning is now underway. The Elkview SRF has been achieving near complete removal of selenium and nitrate from up to 10 million liters of water per day since 2018. It is part of our ongoing work to implement the Elk Valley Water Quality Plan to maintain the health of the water around our steelmaking coal operations. The Elk USRF expansion doubles the water treatment facility, the water treatment capacity to 20 million of water per day. As I mentioned earlier, our adjusted site cash cost of sales decreased to an average of $58 per ton in the fourth quarter, so below the $60 per ton target that we had and that represents a $9 per ton decline from the third quarter, and that was better than planned. This substantial reduction in our cost of sales 
reflects a structural shift to a lower cost base, which was driven by five factors. First, our LP plant expansion from seven to nine million tons of capacity, so an incremental two million tons of low cost, high quality coal. Then the closure of our higher cost Cardinal River operations, which is now complete. We have declining strip ratios, which we've highlighted and is part of the plan. We have the benefits of our cost reduction program, and then also Phase 21 in innovation. Sales were at the top end of the Q4 2020 guidance range at 6.1 million tons, with nearly 20% of sales to Chinese customers, which benefited our fourth quarter realized price. We are continuing to prioritize available spot volumes to China, which is expected to benefit our price realizations in Q1 in 2021. Importantly, steelmaking coal prices have increased significantly since the start of the year in response to improving demand in markets outside of China and trade flows rebalancing. FOB Australia pricing levels increased significantly over a three-week period and are currently approximately $40 US per ton higher than they were at the start of 2021, and CFR China prices have increased to above $220 US per ton. Since January 1st, 2011, I do want to remind you that the FOB Australia price has averaged around $170 a ton nominally or $180 US per ton on an inflation-adjusted basis. Our public activities, a $50 US per ton increase in the FOB Australia steelmaking coal price would increase our annualized uh, by around $0.5 billion. So that $40 increase that we currently have would be an increase in EBITDA of about $1.2 billion versus where it was running at before. Moving to slide 13 at, at Neptune, we are nearing completion of the upgrades and expansion to secure a long-term, low-cost and reliable supply chain for steel-making coal, which will structurally leave our costs lower for decades to come and will ensure that we can capture high prices when they are available. We achieved 90% overall completion in June and look forward to completing this in the next uh, set of All major equipment has been installed and significant new facilities, including the new overpass, ditch loader, stack single power dumper, construction completion of the remaining inbound facilities associated with the new double rail car dumper is expected around the end of first quarter. A significant effort has been put into maintaining the schedule, though, through additional labor and multiple shifts and overtime. And we take that together with an already congested site, uh, which has, of course, seen impacts from COVID-19 as well, we have seen very significant impacts on worker productivity, and this has increased costs, which are expected to come in approximately 10% above our prior estimate before COVID-19 impacts of about 800 million. Now, if you go back to uh, the beginning of the pandemic and since, since the onset of the pandemic, COVID-19 has impacted project costs by an estimated additional 80 to 100 million. Pandemic has caused delays in some equipment delivery which then has driven work resequencing and schedule extension of certain systems, as well as reduced the productivity of the construction workforce as they manage through the many COVID-19 protocols. However, first coal through the upgrade facility is still expected early in the second quarter. 
On slide 14, our strong sustainability performance continues to place tech at the top of ESG rankings by the major ratings firms. We are the top-ranked mining and metals company on both the S&P Dow Jones Sustainability World Index and Sustainalytics. We have an A rating and the top quartile for mining on MSCI. And we were recently named to the Global 100 Most Sustainable Corporations list by Corporate Knights. And earlier this month, Tech was named for the fourth consecutive year to the Bloomberg Gender Equality Index. And while these third-party rankings of ESG performance are definitely encouraging, we know that we still need to remain focused on continuing to build on our strong ESG track record to ensure that we meet the expectations of our society more broadly. I'll now run through highlights of our fourth quarter by business unit, starting with copper on slide 15. Our copper unit had a strong fourth quarter, supported by an increase in copper prices. Copper production in the quarter was 78,100 tons, with a net cash unit cost of $1.27 U.S. per pound sold. Production continued to be impacted by harder-than-expected ores, following a change in mine sequencing in 2020 in support of reduced waste movement, as well as maintenance challenges. At the same time, production at Antimina was higher than a year ago due to higher mill. Significantly lower net cash unit costs than in the same period last year were driven by higher cash margins for byproducts, supported by, of course, our cost reduction and raise 21. Now, looking forward to 2021, we expect higher production at Highland Valley and Antimina, offset declines at Carmadan de Coyo and uh, at the end of the mine life at Quebec. Net cash unit costs are expected to be slightly higher than in 2020. Our business unit results for the fourth quarter are summarized on slide 16. And as a reminder, Antimina's zinc-related financial results are reported in our copper business unit. Red Dog sales of zinc and concentrate were 149,000 tons, which was in line with our guidance. Red Dog zinc production was higher before 2019 due to higher mill throughput and improved recoveries. At trail operations, refined zinc and lead production was higher than the same quarter in 2019, which back then was impacted by an electrical equipment failure in the zinc refinery. Looking forward to 2021, we expect sales of Red Dog Zinc and Concentrate to be lower than normal in the first half of the year, particularly in the and this reflects in 2020 due to water constraints. Net cash unit costs are expected to increase in 2021 due primarily, again, to lower production volumes in 2020 and to prior years. And net cash unit costs are expected to vary significantly on a quarterly basis throughout the year, and that is why with our normal seasonal sales patterns. Looking at steel making coal on slide 17, despite the challenges in 2020, the steel making coal business unit achieved a substantial ramp up in production of sales in the fourth quarter. And as I mentioned earlier, sales were near the top end of our guidance range and our average price reflected sales to Chinese customers increased nearly 20% of total sales and, and that's a higher CFR China price. Our adjusted site cost of decreased to an average of $58 per ton in the fourth quarter, reflecting a structural shift to a lower cost. Looking forward, the uh, recent severe winter weather, which you all experienced, 
has impacted our production and logistics service providers over the past two weeks. And if we include these uh, adverse weather impacts, we expect sales of 5.9 to 6.3 million tons in the first quarter of 2021. We will continue to prioritize available spot sales volumes to China, which is expected to result in favorable prices. We expect our realized price in Q1 2021 to be higher than the 10-year average of a realization, which is normally around 92% of the benchmark. We expect it to be higher than that um, in Q1 2021, but a reasonable amount. For the full year, we are transitioning to full production rates to meet anticipated demand. Our adjusted site cash cost of sale between $59 per ton and $4 per ton, with the first and fourth quarters near the lower end of the guidance range, and the second and third quarters near the higher end result of our outages. Transportation costs are expected to decrease to $36 to $39 per ton for the full year with the completion of our Neptune upgrade and enhanced rail network flexibility. Costs are expected to exceed the upper end of the range first half of the year during the final stages of the Neptune construction commission. And then they will be at the lower end of the range in the second half once Neptune is up and running. Our energy business unit results for the quarter are summarized on slide 18. Our realized prices and operating results were significantly impacted by a material decline in benchmark oil prices and the decision to reduce production compared with Q4 2019. As previously announced, the Fort Hills partners safely and efficiently restarted the second train facility and ramped up production in the fourth quarter to approximately 120,000 barrels per day. As I noted earlier, during the fourth quarter, we recorded a non-cash pre-tax asset impairment for our interest in Fort Hills of 597 million or 438 million after tax, in part due to lower market expectations for long-term Western Canada Select heavy oil prices. Looking forward to 2021, we expect our share of Fort Hills annual production to increase approximately 25% from 2020 levels and our adjusted operating costs to decrease by approximately 20% compared to 2020. We expect production to be lower and costs to be higher in the first half of 2021 and then improve in the second half as production is ramped up. We'll be pushing hard to get Fort Hills back to full production along with our partners uh, as soon as we can. The Fort Hills partners continue to also focus on cost discipline and on maintaining the operating and capital cost savings that were achieved in 2020 while assessing plans to further increase production back to nameplate capacity. And we are encouraged by the recent significant improvement in benchmark oil prices with West Texas Intermediate over $61 US, although it was off just a touch today, uh, and spot Western Canada and select close to $50 US per barrel. And with that, I will pass it over to Jonathan Price for some comments on our financial results. Thanks, Don. And if I could just ask everyone again to, to mute their mics, if they're not already, please. Um, so I'll start by addressing the detail of the quarters and the year's earnings adjustments on slide 19. In Q4 2020, we recorded a non-cash after-tax impairment of $438 million on our interest in Fort Hills. Environmental costs were $201 million after tax, 
primarily relating to a decrease in the rates used to discount our decommissioning and restoration provisions and increased expected remediation costs. After these and other minor adjustments, bottom line adjusted profit attributable to shareholders was $248 million in the quarter, which is 47 cents per share or 46 per share on a diluted basis. The changes in our cash position during the fourth quarter are on slide 20. We generated $594 million in cash flow from operations. We spent $930 million on sustaining and growth capital, including $483 million on QB2 and $150 million on the Neptune facility upgrade. Stripping activities were $120 million, which was lower than a year ago, primarily due to the decrease in strip ratios at our steelmaking coal operations. We paid $55 million on expenditures on investments and other assets. We received net proceeds of $540 million from debt in the quarter, which included a drawdown of $474 million on the QB2 project finance facility. Redemption or repurchase and repayment of debt totaled $30 million. We drew a net $174 million on our revolving credit facilities. Lease payments totaled $39 million, and we paid $64 million in interest and finance charges and $26 million in our regular five-cent quarterly-based dividend. After these and other minor items, we ended the quarter with a cash and short-term investments of $450 million. Now turning to our financial position on slide 21. We have a strong financial position with current liquidity of 6.5 billion Canadian. This includes our current cash and the amounts available on our US 5 billion of committed revolving credit facilities. 3.7 US billion is available on our US 4 billion facility that matures in Q4 2024 and our US 1 billion sidecar that matures in Q2 2022 remains undrawn. Importantly, both facilities do not have any earnings or cash flow based financial covenants, do not include a credit rating trigger and do not include a general material adverse effect borrowing condition. The only financial covenant is a net debt to capitalization ratio that cannot exceed 60%. And at December 31st, that ratio was 24%. Of our US 2.5 billion limited recourse project financing facility for QB2, we have drawn US 1.1 billion, of which US 368 million was in the fourth quarter. Going forward, project funding will be from the project financing facility until the project reaches a specific ratio of project financing to total shareholders funding. Tech's next contributions to project capital for QB2 are expected in the first half of this year, subject to the impact of COVID-19 on the project schedule and timing of capital spending. We have no significant note maturities prior to 2030 and investment grade credit ratings from all four credit rating agencies. Now, as Don mentioned earlier, we exceeded our target for our cost reduction program, realizing more than $1 billion in savings as of the end of 2020. During the period from October 1st, 2019 through to December 31st, 2020, 
efforts from our cost reduction program reduced our planned spending at the end of June 2019 by 1.065 billion, of which 355 million were operating cost reductions and 710 million were capital reductions. Of this, 210 million of the total was realized in 2019 and 855 million was realized in 2020. As noted, our cost reduction program is now complete and reductions are included in our operating plans and guidance going forward. Finally, as shown on the slide and as Don has mentioned, we have significant leverage to increasing copper and steel making coal prices. Overall, we have a strong financial position to allow us to continue to weather the challenges around COVID-19 and to complete the Neptune facility upgrade and the QB2 project. And with that, I will pass it back to Don for closing comments. Thanks, Jonathan. I wanted to close with taking a quick look at tech's prudent growth strategy and what many people are calling green metals these days. Tech is one of the best positioned companies globally to capitalize on the strong demand growth that we see for green metals, particularly copper, which is being driven by the global trend of decarbonization and the associated electrification. We're already a decent sized copper producer from our four existing mines, but more importantly, as shown in slide 22, we have perhaps the best of one of the very best copper production, production growth in the industry and in pretty good jurisdictions as well. By 2023, tech will have doubled our consolidated copper production as we complete construction of QB2. This compares to average copper production growth of just 21% for our diversified mining peers and only 11% growth for copper companies. And these numbers are according to Wood McKenzie. So tech does provide investors with strong copper growth exposure at a time when copper demand is set to expand significantly. Moving to slide 23, that accelerated copper growth is the cornerstone of our strategy. By growing our copper production, we will rebalance our portfolio to become a major green metals producer. At the same time, it, 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 uh, makes carbon, including steelmaking coal, a much smaller overall proportion of our business. We're also continuing to strengthen our existing high quality assets through Race 21 Innovation Program, which is harnessing cutting edge technologies, including artificial intelligence and automation to drive step change improvements in productivity, efficiency, safety, and sustainability. And everything we do is underpinned by a focus on disciplined capital allocation. We, were we will rigorously assess and balance future opportunities for growth with providing cash returns to shareholders. And of course, we remain committed to strong environmental, social, and governance performance, including setting ambitious targets to reduce our carbon intensity and be carbon neutral across all our operations by 2050. Wrapping up on slide 24, this is indeed a very exciting time for our industry and for tech. There are opportunities ahead as global growth and the transition to lower carbon economies drives a new green metal demand. We're strengthening how we operate, both through cutting edge innovation and to improve productivity as well as leading ESG performance. And we have a leadership team with the right mix of skills and experience to deliver on our strategy. And with that, we'd be happy to answer your questions. And like many of you, most of us are on phone lines from home. So please bear with us if there's a delay while we sort out who will answer your questions. So operator, back to you for questions. Thank you. 
please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. And the first question is from Emily Shang with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone, and thanks uh, for taking the time today. Um, maybe coming back to your last point there on um, the copper growth and positioning the company for, for green metals, as you look beyond the startup of QB2 and Square, what appears to be a very attractive supply-demand outlook for copper um, and a very currently a very supportive commodity price environment. Um, can you perhaps discuss what the pecking order for developing some of your longer-term growth projects, um, uh, including you know Zafranel and QB3 and some of the other uh, satellite projects there, and maybe a potential time, timeline before we could see capital being directed towards these? Yeah, no, excellent question, because as you know, we are rich in copper resources. We have about seven projects, but... Uh, not all of them will necessarily be built by tech. So um, there's a few obvious ones that we're looking at very closely. Everyone knows about QB3. The, the fact is the QB as a resource has grown enormously, and you know we're crossing the 8 billion ton threshold and, and headed to 10 and beyond. So at some point in time, QB3 will just be a, a natural deployment of capital. But whether that is sort of a 50% expansion, a doubling of capacity, or something larger like what uh, our Chief Operating Officer, Red Conger, directed when he was at Freeport, Cerro Verde in Peru, uh, is, is yet to be determined and won't be determined for some time. We're still at the, you know, we completed the scoping study, heading to pre-feasibility. So in terms of your question on timeline, that one wouldn't be ready for sanction probably till early 2025. Uh, I should note that uh, tech itself wouldn't necessarily be putting up the initial equity capital that, uh, because of our our deal with Sumitomo and then Project Finance, so capital from tech wouldn't come up for quite some time, maybe as long as 2027. So that leaves us open to do other things if we chose. Um, the Zafranel project, of course, has already completed its feasibility study and the initial stages of environmental permitting. Uh, we had started a sales process on that before COVID uh, and finished the first round, very happy with the first round bids and then selected uh, the second round for participants but then um, COVID hit and nobody was able to visit the site until we put the, the process on the shelf. Um, we won't be restarting that again until mid-year at, at the earliest. We want to get through the elections in Peru and um, uh, then take a look at what the wood looks like. But the one thing we know for sure is it's worth more today than it was pre-COVID, and, and we have a good indication of that from the different inbound calls we get. And the reason for that, and, and, and so would St. Nicholas or or any of our other projects, not only is the spot copper price that much higher, but the perception of copper demand growth because of the electrification uh, uh, that's going on in the world. COVID has actually accelerated decarbonization around the world, so uh, people have shifted uh, more positively their view on copper outlook. And then uh, the copper companies, including the mid-caps, you know, they have real access to capital now, and they look around for opportunities, and they're very scarce, and tech has a lot of them. So uh, uh, they've, they've approached us, and uh, we'll, we'll take our time, but there's uh, clearly things we could do there. The really exciting one is St. Nicholas. Uh, we'll be publishing the results of the pre-feasibility fairly soon, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, it is a very high IRR, reasonably short construction schedule, uh, lower capital costs in around about the $800 million range, so very manageable. We own 100% of it. 
Um, we've had uh, inbound calls from several about this and uh, actual offers from people that, that haven't even uh, done any site due diligence or that sort of thing. So uh, we know it's a um, hot commodity, so to speak, uh, uh, but we, we won't be deciding again till after mid-year sometime um, which direction we go on that, whether we partner with, with someone else or uh, um, keep it ourselves or, or something else. So that, that'll give a feel for it, but we do, we do have a, a rich array of options to work through. Great, that's that's really helpful, Carla. And one more, if I may, um, just around you know the the latest on um, text views on the Met call outlook. There, I know you guys typically provide some really great um, color, but but what are you seeing uh, as associated with um, the Australian uh, import ban uh, to China essentially, and 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 what maybe are your views of the latest uh, on the global supply demand? Um, for Seaborn for Met Coal and how does sort of tech fit into all of that? Okay, that's a, a key question that I'm sure everybody wants to hear the answer. And I'm going to turn it over to Rail Foley in a minute, but I just want to finish a thought from your previous question that people may not have gleaned from my answer. But uh, we should note that in terms of returning capital to the shareholders, when QP2 finishes second half of 2022, which is just next year, and we get a complete reversal in, in, in our free cash flow position. Because right now, you know, we're putting out a couple billion dollars a year to build it. But once it's built, the whole thing reverses. Instead of putting out money, a billion something starts coming back in. So it's a more than $3 billion reversal uh, in, in a good way. And there won't be a project ready to build for a couple of years in between. So we see a lot of free cash flow for a couple of years in the, uh, in the at least a couple of years in the 20. 23 and 2024, uh, 2025 kind of range before any other um, uh, project could be built. I want to make sure people understood that. And we have our capital allocation framework in, in the IR presentation. You can see how um, the board has approved uh, capital to flow. And uh, at the end of that calculation, a minimum of 30% is returned to shareholders through dividends or buybacks, but it could be 100% of the surplus if, if that's what the board decided to do. With that, uh, Real, over to you on the, the key call question. All right. Uh, thanks, Don. Uh, thanks, Emily, for the question. Uh, there, there's quite a bit in your question. So I'll start and talk about uh, the ban, the China ban on Australian coal, then I'll talk about what we're seeing in demand and uh, end up with a bit of a summary on uh, the supply side. So as far as the ban is concerned, uh, from what we're seeing and hearing in the market uh, from our customers and also our, our two offices in China, and th there is no set date or clarity as to when the ban might end. Uh, so in, in the meantime, what we are seeing and taking advantage of is the, uh, the price premium for sales into China. If you look at, uh, at pricing today, the FOB Australia price is around $140 uh, currently, and the CFR China price is at $220 US. So once you deduct ocean freight, which for us is somewhere around $15, $16 currently, that still leaves a premium above $60 US per ton, hence uh, our focus on, on trying to maximize sales into China to capture that benefit. 
Now, if, if we look on the demand side uh, in China, as a result of the ban, we've seen a large increase in seaborne coking coal uh, imports in 2020 uh, to the second highest level on record at 49 million tons. Uh, that compares to uh, 60 million tons in 2013, which was the highest level, and that was an increase of 8 million tons year over year. Uh, inventories at China ports are currently very low. They're sitting at somewhere around 2.4 million tons. The record low was around 1.2 million, and the record high was 13.8 million tons. So. When you look at this, uh, with, with port inventories solo right now, and around half these tons being Australian coal that have not cleared customs due to the ban, the port stocks are indeed very low, and the China CFR price is, is continuing to, uh, to be high. Uh, on February 7th, just ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday, it was sitting at somewhere around $230 U.S. per ton on a CFR China equivalent basis. Um, and China domestic production in 2020 only went up somewhere around 4 million tons or less than 1% at 485 million tons. So there, there is ongoing challenges to increase that production in relation to continuing safety and environmental inspections at the mines. The other source of the coal for China is Mongolia. Those exports were down 10 million tons to 24 million tons in 2020. Uh, and when we look at the beginning of the 2021 to date, the number of truck movements through the border with China is still somewhere around 50% of where it was at the same time in 2020. And as a result of this, the, the Mongolian prices have also increased. Uh, and again, same date around uh, February 7th, prior to the start of the Lunar New Year, they were sitting at $218 CFR China equivalent. Um, and then when, when we look at demand in other market areas, uh, we're seeing demand improve. Uh, we've seen that improvement start from around April uh, last year, that is uh, ex-China market. Uh, and in December, the hot metal production increased for an eighth consecutive month. Uh, with the, the primary increases actually coming from the Japan, Korea, Taiwan markets at nearly 10% increase, and India was up uh, close to 2%. That is in response to around 80% of uh, the blast furnaces that were closed at the start of the pandemic. 80% of those have already been uh, announced to restart or restarted. That includes somewhere around 75 million tons of capacity that has been restarted out of around 100 million tons that was shut down at the start of the pandemic. And then last, lastly, on the supply side, so for seaborne supply, we're seeing that uh, 2020 uh, 
supply was reduced somewhere around 27 million tons. That includes Australia that was down around 15 million tons, a U.S. supply somewhere around 6 to 8 million tons, uh, Canada and Mozambique down each 3 to 4 million tons. Um, and when, when we're looking at the, the mines, the existing mines, the, the reality is that uh, Woodmac is, is estimating the break-even price is around $125 US per ton. For a large portion of 2020, the, the FOB Australia price was below that. So that put a lot of, of pressure on, on mines. We've seen a number of mines shut down, both in relation to economics, but also COVID impact. Um, the combined export capacity uh, that was shut down was 45 million tons on an annualized basis. And there, we're estimating that there's currently still around 15 million tons or so that is shut down currently. Um, and as, as we're looking into uh, 2021, uh, it is early days yet, but it, uh, like I said at the start with uh, the ongoing uh, ban on, uh, on Australian coal in China, it seems that there will be a continuing impact to uh, Australian production. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, I trust that answer is in. Fantastic. That's super helpful. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos D. Alba with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you very much, everyone. Um, and just uh, on, on QB2, uh, if I may ask, uh, is, are you guys planning on, on another update on, on CapEx? Uh, you're considering the, the, the Chilean peso where it is today a little bit stronger than what you had baked into your estimates. And you know, I know that you have provided a, a guidance on, on the impact on, on the move on the currency, but just wondering if you are planning on, on announcing any uh, a, a, you know, an, an update. Also, uh, when you consider the new um, impact from COVID-related expenses, um, that went up 50 million, what are the assumptions uh, around that? Uh, when do you expect the, uh, expect the cases will, uh, or the pandemic uh, will be coming under control in, in, in Chile? Or what, what can you tell us around your assumptions behind that number um, so that we can feel more comfortable that, that um, you know, the, the upper end of that range is probably not going to, to increase too much? And then finally, um, just very quickly, also on QB2, is it fair to assume that the contribution this year uh, to, to the QB2 capex from tech will be around 630 to 650 million Canadian? Thank you very much. Okay, I think there's uh, three questions within there. I'm going to take the, the first one about uh, when we go updating the different investment, then I'll turn it over to Red Conger on the second one on the uh, uh, COVID expenses um, uh, components and going forward, and then either uh, Red or Alex on the third one. So um, when we did the definitive investment that we announced on April 1st, 2020, that was a very detailed from the ground up, every single contract uh, reviewed by Bechtel uh, to build the, up the, the total cost, looking at all the contingencies and the rest of it. So that was a very, very detailed exercise. It takes a lot of time and resources. We don't intend to do another version of that as such, but in terms of updating the numbers that we're, we're managing to, that $5.26 billion, 
Uh, we would likely give you a, a more detailed update in Q2 um, after we've got a few more months uh, running uh, at uh, you know building building to uh, an even higher peak of workforce that is in the plan as we go towards the middle of the year. So um, the update we've given you today is that it remains on track with what we had published on the first uh, of April, the definitive investment. Uh, excluding the COVID costs, and then we give you the COVID cost estimate uh, there. Um, Red, over to you on on uh, QB2 COVID, how it's doing with COVID and, and costs. Thanks, Carlos. Uh, we we are assuming that that we continue to manage uh, the workforce with all of the protocols in place that we're uh, practicing and executing very well. Right now, we've been very pleased with uh, you know essentially no uh, workplace passing of, of the virus so far. We, we are testing people before they come up, uh, keeping them from, you know, from coming onto the property if people test positive with PCR testing. So that we've been very pleased with all of that. And our workforce is doing a great job self-reporting and just, you know, staying off work if, if they're even suspicious that they, that they might be ill. So the, Assumptions that we have going forward, we, as you may recall, we expanded the, the housing uh, accommodations that we have up at site. The man camp was expanded so that we could maintain social distancing. That, that all is working well, and all, all of the assumptions now are, are, are based on current experience that we are going to continue to to ramp up uh, headcount. We have space to do that as work fronts develop. And as the you know the construction plans get executed, there there will be more employees on site, and and the, the assumptions still put us in the second half of uh, next year for completion. And uh, Jonathan, I see you put your hand up to take the third question on capital. Sure. Uh, look, just to say briefly, I think the uh, the assumption around you know six hundred million dollars or so Canadian um, tax share for QB two. This year is is about right if you look at you know what we've said with respect to the um, the project finance uh, facility and um, obviously the, the share between ourselves and and the Sumitomo uh, group then yes about six hundred million dollars is about the right number. All right, excellent. Thank you very much and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Jackie Presbilowski with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. I guess uh, I'll just start by asking uh, just a clarification following on uh, Carlos's question. Uh, you you said in the release that your um, your COVID related costs for QB2 are 50 million US higher than they used to be, uh, so 450 to 500 million. You'd previously given uh, an, an another number on top of that. I think it was 45 million um, for for camp expenses. So is is it still another 45 million in addition to that? 450 to 500 million range, or, or are you just sort of adding the two numbers together? As we noted in the disclosure, we've added it together, so it's just the one number. Got it. And it's a 50 is sort of what was expected by adding another quarter worth of operating with with COVID. And there was a, you know, a bit of a second or third wave, if you might call it, that, that occurred during the period. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's helpful. I was just wanted to clarify on that. Um, and then the other similar question, I guess, on Neptune. Just for clarification, because there's a few a few different numbers I think um, on the capex there as well. 
So am I thinking about this right, that you had uh, $800 million roughly Canadian was your budget. You're saying now it's 10% higher, so say 880 and then another 80 to $100 million on top of that. So you're kind of in the 960 to $980 million range Canadian. Is that um, is, am I adding that up correctly? Is that all um, additive? Yes, that's correct. Um, what we're doing with all the projects, and it would be whether it's QB or uh, water treatment plants or making sure that people can identify what the actual cost of COVID was, that's, that's not going to be around uh, hopefully one day with vaccines and the rest of it, and then what uh, costs measured against the actual direct uh, project production costs uh, would be. So that's, that's why it's broken out that way, and that's how Price Waterhouse, our auditors, would uh, want us to manage to report it. Okay, no, that's it's great. I just want to make sure that I'm I'm um, not double counting anything. Um, and, and then maybe just finally one other question um, on Highland Valley. It, it looks like your guidance has come down uh, for 2021, and then maybe a little bit in the future as well. Uh, can can you maybe give us some sense as to is it still the ore hardness that's causing you problems there? Um, and do you see maybe an opportunity to to kind of go back to your previous guidance range if if you are able to you know get more man manpower on site or, or work through those um, hardness issues? Uh, Red, I'll turn it over to you or, or just add if you like. Yeah, thanks, Don. Yeah, Jackie, we've, we've identified a, a rock type that's in this particular pushback that, that hasn't been encountered for a long time. It was not included in our mineral model. We've now done that work. Uh, we've mapped it. We've done some drilling and we now have it identified in our mineral model and it's it's going to be with us for another year or so as we as we work okay. through that so it's now well known accurately modeled and of course the the team's working every day to you know optimize the the performance given the ore types that we have blending schemes that we can do they're being very creative with sending certain types to different primary crushers which provide opportunities for us to optimize given you know that we now know the the org types that we're presented with so we'll keep you updated on that progress but for now it's it's known and mapped and modeled and that's the difference thanks thanks very much red and um, i realize i've asked a number of questions already but if, if i could just ask one more the um going back to the coal division the transportation cost guidance that you've given is obviously down a little bit and that reflects the expansion at neptune but uh, recognizing that the Neptune terminal isn't going to be running at full strength for the entire year, can can you maybe give us an idea of when you expect it gets to its full run rate, and then um, by extension, sort of at that full run rate, what what we might expect that transportation cost might come down to going forward, like 2022? Okay, I'll turn that to either Rayal or Ian Anderson. Yeah, I can take that. Uh, I can take that down. So, uh, Jackie, yeah, you're right. We, we've indicated uh, lower transportation costs for uh, 2021. And we've also said that we're expecting the first half to, uh, to exceed the higher end of guidance as we're finalizing the, uh, the last stages of the Neptune yeah. upgrade. And then the, the lower end of the range in, in the second half. So the, that reduction, uh, a lot of it is associated actually to uh, uh, increasing the Neptune usage. Uh, we said also that uh, first call is expected to go through the, uh, the new dumper 
beyond that, with Neptune expected to reach uh, capacity, the nameplate capacity is 18.5 million tons, but we're expecting Neptune to, to be able to uh, increase beyond that, and uh, we're expecting to exceed that 18.5 million tons somewhere around the, uh, the end of the third quarter or into the fourth quarter this year. And then for, okay. for 2021, of course, we'll be, we'll be running uh, Neptune to maximize utilization and, and reduce our logistics cost. So if we're modeling um, transportation costs in 2022, it should be like around $35, $36 a ton. Would that be reasonable? Jackie, it's well, a little bit safe because yeah. um, there's more than just the port cost. There's the rail cost yeah. as well. Still in negotiations on that one. So we can't give you a really okay. accurate guidance. That's no, probably to the third quarter when we see what the ultimate capacity will be because we are optimistic it'll be quite, you know, a reasonable amount above the 18 and a half plus the rail cost. So there's two two factors that we don't know yet that when we do, we'll let you Okay, that's, I appreciate that. that. That's it for me. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you. The next question is from Tinner Tanners with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Yeah, hey, good morning. Um, just want a couple things I wanted to follow up on. On the not the transportation, but on the coal cost side, the range is between fifty nine and sixty four, and I just wanted to understand a little bit more what could drive the high end of the range and the low end, just to get a little more color around that. Uh, Robin, over to you. Yeah, you bet. Um, I just trying, I'll try and give you a fair bit of context, just so you can tell why they changed. But probably the most important thing is that our costs are typically higher. They'll be towards the higher end of the range through Q2 and Q3, and that's really because we we do our annual maintenance outages through that period of time. And so you'll see those those costs be closer to the top end. Q1, Q4, typically they'd be closer to the bottom end because we'd be running pretty much flat out. Um, you know, we have we have made our structural changes. So the operating costs that we saw through the second half of 2020 are roughly what's giving us a sense of range of about 59 to 64. There are there are three things I do want to point out that are cost pressures that we do have to recognize this year. So one of them is the one-time uh, cost, which is we've got a mining. Um, we're mining through some uh, old legacy waste type material in, in one of the operations, and it. We have to bring a contractor in to handle the material. It's it's fine. It's difficult to handle. So that's a one-time cost that's putting a bit of pressure on on our overall costs. The other one is we enjoyed some pretty low oil pricing through 2020. We expect, as you see lately, that that cost is likely going to be a little bit higher. And then just ongoing water management. We're going to bring on two two of our water treatment facilities this year. So we've got the the Elkview Saturated Rock Fill, which actually just started pumping water here three days ago. So pretty excited about that. That that will cost us uh, some operating. And then uh, the Fording River South uh, active water treatment facility comes on mid-year. So that'll also start to to produce and, and uh, generate some operating costs. So when you put those those three factors together, they collectively represent about two to three dollars a ton over what we would have seen, you know, say in, in uh, 2020. I guess on the on the flip side, like and I I think there's some really positive uh, work obviously being done on the race 21 side. We saw 
tremendous productivity improvements through last year. We're, you know, we're we're continuing to advance that strategy, and we do see significant value being generated. Um, that value comes online in time, so it's difficult to kind of pin down when it happens. So, so some of that will offset some of the cost pressures, but that hopefully gives you an idea of of why we range somewhere between that 59 and 64 through the year. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. And then my only other question on, on, I wanted to, to highlight was just on the coal side. I think you've also given um, guidance that about two-thirds, if I recall, of your coal sales had been kind of locked into contracts that are um, tied to the um, Aussie price, and then about one-third would be available for the Chinese benchmark, if you will. Is that is that the right numbers? Is, are there more complications around that thinking that I'm missing, or is that roughly the way to think about the opportunity with the divergence of pricing this year? A little less than one-third, but, Ray, all over to you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Don. Thanks, Tim. Now, yeah, I, what we said is our target is to sell 7.5 million tons into China this year. But, of course, that depends how long the, the ban will last and, you know, if there is import restrictions or other policy decisions. So um, with, with our guidance between 25.5 and 26 million tons, it's, it's somewhere north of the 25% of our sales if we achieve that, that 7.5 million ton target. Um, now, when, when we're looking at, uh, at Q1, for, for instance, uh, we're, we're actually keep in mind that with Lunar New Year, uh, this mm -hmm. is there's usually a bit of seasonality in Q1, but uh, we're, we're moving sales into China, uh, kind of reflecting our target to maximize sales over there to capture a very significant premium. And we've said that we're expecting to realize materially higher prices than uh, our, our 10-year average realized price versus the, uh, the, the, the average in the three-key assessment flagged by one month. Okay, so the seven and a half million, though, that's that's a pretty finite amount. There's there's not much flexibility there, right? I mean, you have fixed contracts and and the ability to move things around is, is limited other than that amount? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, okay. We have uh, long-term contracts with uh, long-term, highly stable, reliable customers that we are delivering into and not knowing how long the China ban would last and you know the, the efforts that it took to, to develop those very long-term relationships. Uh, we are a long-term supplier. We, we have reserves and resources for decades to come. So we need, we need to balance uh, our sales book to, to take full advantage, but not only on a pinpoint. I mean, it, this is also looking at uh, multi-year. Got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, operator, Eric, I think uh, we've gone over time. I think uh, we should hand it back to Don for closing remarks. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Grazer. And I, I just want to say that the team, that we're all feeling pretty good about uh, uh, how the company looks right now. You know, QB2 is on track. Uh, Chile's doing a great job on vaccines, by the way. And while we're testing everybody, we will actually be vaccinating on site within a week. So that's another uh, positive for maintaining control over COVID and getting good productivity. Neptune will be finished real soon, and so that structurally lowers our costs for decades to come and gives us the ability to capture high prices when they're there. 
the, the costs at the mine site and our coal business uh, have come down significantly, and the costs and logistics will be coming down uh, throughout the, the year towards the second half of this year. So that's good. Uh, Race 21 is certainly having its impact. We're all excited about that. And uh, the market looks pretty strong. Our, our transition uh, to more green metals, as they're called, uh, uh, more more copper, uh, reweighting the portfolio is well underway. And QB2 will be starting up next year, so coming soon. Thanks all for being here today, and we'll look forward to the next quarterly call in July. Bye now. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.